Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast, a podcast by belonging pioneers and Culture Lab consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our DEI goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and we explore new possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose. If you are interested in balancing the scales, please do join us in taking the Privilege Conundrum Research Survey. It will help us to build the body of knowledge around what impact privilege is having in the workplace and what we can do to move beyond that to balance the scales. Rugby is a brutal and violent sport and women should not relish its physical challenge. If you, like me, are tired of hearing such stereotypes, you will thoroughly appreciate how Flo Williams has broken this myth. Now, let me tell you about Flo. Flo Williams is a Welsh international, with her international cap meaning a lot to her and her family, with her father being born in Merthyr Tydfil. Having started playing rugby as a junior in Aylesford, Williams progressed through and played for their first team before playing for Loughborough Lightning in the first season of the Premier 15s. Williams cemented herself as one of the best kickers in the league. Williams works as a women's sports lead for sports marketing agency Matter, where she helped create the recent brand identity for the Red Roses, as well as the new brand identity for Premiership Women's Rugby. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers. And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy. Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do. You want to create success through connection and belonging, and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work. And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realise a culture of inclusion for all. that's really important for our listeners to understand the journey you went through and why you chose rugby and and the challenges you faced which it sounds like more to do with the society around you rather than the sport itself when it comes to the female side of it but then again on the on the other hand the female side of the sport is treated as other to the main what they call the main men's sport yeah it's just assumed you know like it's a default in everybody's mind as soon as you say rugby you assume the men's team as soon as you say England you think the men's team as soon as you say world cup you assume the men's world cup like it's tough at the moment like even the most recent world cup that's happened there's lots of stats that have come out people said oh this is the first player ever to play in four world cup finals it's like well no it's the first male player ever and every time people get this wrong, it just categorizes and reinforces them as like this is the main thing, and the women are the add-on. Yeah. Um, and it's it, that at the elite level that trickles down to a, a grassroots level when you're playing at your local club and they don't put you on the main picture. You're playing later on on a Sunday, or you're not getting kit that fits you, or you're having to re- try and recruit people because you haven't got enough people to play. It you all every time it reinforces this is not the norm. Yeah. 
So that's really where you see male privilege in sport, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, imagine I can't I, I can't imagine what it's like to just play sport and just think about how well I'm going to play and how I'm going to get better and how I'm going to recover and how this sport is my career and being proud and like celebrating it. Like I've taught myself to, to be, to be proud of it, but it's still, you, you come back to, you come down to earth with a bang when you play a game on the weekend and then you're getting up and going to work and then like life goes on very much in another world straight afterwards. Whereas the guys would be going back into their club and thinking about the game or they'd be recovering or they wouldn't be worrying about how they've got to earn money as well as do their sport. You know, like they just worry about that one thing and young girls wouldn't have to deal with people going, Oh, rugby, like, why are you, why are you playing that? You know, like you don't have to become this activist as well. It's going to sound like a bit of a dumb question, but I don't know. Maybe our listeners don't know either. either. <clears throat> so the male game is definitely professional and they're paid a salary plus. On yeah. Them. It's a bit, yeah, salary and then individual players can get sponsorship as well, yeah. And then the female game, is that also considered professional? Uh, well, it's funny because people say, you'll see playing in the premiership and go, oh, you're a professional rugby player. Um, and it's not, you're an elite rugby player, but not everybody's professional because I think by the term professional, you mean it's your profession, which means you're paid for it. It's your Saturn, it's your, you earn money. Um, and if you are a contracted England player, Wales player, Scotland player, or Ireland player, so internationally contracted, um, it is your career and it is your salaried. And like, and some of that salary has been been increased in recent years, so that they're, they're earning like a good living. But that is very, very recent. Um, but equally, it's not particularly secure because contracts are often one year two years like they're quite short contracts so if you have a career that you've built up your whole life and then you're offered a contract you kind of have to stop doing that some people end up taking pay cuts to then play their sport um full time and that might only be for one year you don't know how long you're going to be in that position for um, and then outside of international contracts if you're just playing for your club you're the, the contracts vary, but we're talking sort of pocket money kind of amounts. You know, like you might be on a a match fee or you might be on a um, a retainer, but we're talking like less less than ten thousand pounds a year, oh. um, and ten thousand pounds a year for a non international club player is a lot. So realistically, it's probably less than less than five thousand pounds a year. So. It's no, it goes nowhere near to being a career. Can't, can't really live on that. Are there any um, organisations that are sponsoring women in rugby? Um, there, are, there are individual athletes who have sponsorships. Um, and I recently, the job I did with Mata, we created a campaign with Clinique and international rugby player Holly Hitchison um, and they did a, a partnership with her for her to represent their brand um, in a sort of like in a commercially um, expected way that you would see most most partnerships work. But it's not necessarily organisations who are 
sponsoring sort of female players as a group um, as such. Each of the clubs obviously look after players the best way that they can, but outside of what the the, the normal sort of sponsorships that you might expect from them might get a, a kit deal or um, a deal for equipment or something like that. Like it, they're, the, they're the main things that are sort of um, floating around at the moment, but they're mainly available for the elite players who are probably already having a salary from the sport as well, already. Okay. All right. So it's, it sounds a little bit like, you know, my dad used to play Sunday cricket and travel around, but it was all at his own cost. It sounds a little mm. like that almost if you, even well, it's level. the, 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 us as players are supported by our club. So they, they pay for everything that we can use. So we're, I'm not at a lot at an expense to play um, sport, apart from the expense it pushes on in my life that I don't work five days a week, I work four days a week because I need to make time for rugby. So I take a 20% pay cut in my job so that I can do rugby, which obviously doesn't fulfill that 20%. So it's, yeah, it's, um, you, you're working at a, a, a loss potentially in that sense, but we don't have to, to pay anything to play, which is obviously great. But if I was me at Saracens in the, in the male counterpart, Yes. I would obviously be paid enough to live off of this. So I think that's the that's the thing that is yeah. is frustrating, like how much harder you have to to work to do and, and you still don't get the, the same level of respect. That's right. And that's like a systemic thing that needs to change in the whole sport. It's not a club level, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And, and I think Saracens um, particularly are, are leaders in that space of promoting their women's team and making sure that we have everything we could ever possibly need. Yeah. Um, but it, it's like the, the reason why there's not money in the sport is because the sport has only been promoted even on TV for like the last five years. You know, like we have, we're 20, 30, 40 years behind other sports um, and especially rugby that's been around for over a hundred years, but women have only really been playing it for 30. It's kind of how it's it's really hard to accelerate that that societal perception of the sport and especially a sport that is so physical and seen as masculine. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Yeah. So if we were to look at, and I'm not sure if either of us knows the answer to this, but if we were to look at where women's sport is now, how far back was a men's game so you know when did things start to change in men's rugby because I guess there was a point where it was the same for the men's game right um in terms of professionalization there's there's probably there's comparisons we can make of where it's at but in terms of the respect and perception I think rugby has to be honest, men's rugby was possibly celebrated and respected more 30, 40 years ago um, when you've got like sort of legends of the game and um, various events like packing out Wembley Stadium um, uh, for iconic sort of five nations fixtures as they were back in the day. Um, so rugby sort of seen as a little bit of a posh boy sport at the moment so I think there's there's a, there's a little bit of work to do in the, in the men's game in terms of respect there but in terms of professionalization 
the game was professionalized in the 90s and it kind of happened overnight that they decided all these guys who were have jobs and also play rugby at elite level we need to put money into it we need to professionalize them because this is considered elite sport so it should be their sole focus um and that happened in the 90s and since then anyone playing at the top end of the game it's been their full-time job yeah and we're sort of just at that tipping point of it happening but because they when that professionalization happened there was a really positive level of respect and perception and people wanted to go and watch rugby and there were thousands of people going and watching um rugby in stadiums especially across England and Wales at the time to be able to sustain that financial input they need to put into the players happened quite not easily but it was available whereas if every club in the country decided to professionalise all of their players right now, the game's not making the income it could make because we're fighting against the men's game for TV broadcast and, and finances at clubs as they're playing paying their male players more. It's using up more of yeah. their of, of their um amount of money they have to spend. Mm-hmm. Got it. So it's Got it. waiting for that. Flo, what do you think needs to happen to balance the scales of power and privilege between men and women's rugby? I think uh, there's there's two ends of the scale that it needs to be to be balanced. So at the at the elite level, um, I think we need to carve our own space and trying to stop trying to be men's rugby and just be unashamedly women's rugby. Like we can grow grow our own audiences. I don't think we should be compared. It should be a version of rugby and it's not the it's not the not the main one but it's just it exists as as a version of rugby as as the same way that men's rugby is a version of rugby it shouldn't be seen as um in, in competition with each other uh they should be promoting it more than tv broadcasts um it should be celebrated as icons equally like anyone who's got like rights holders in the game so England Rugby, um, Welsh Rugby Union, Irish Rugby, Scottish Rugby should be promoting their players and their international players in exactly the same way on the same uh, on the same level of um, of, of celebration and um, they should be seen as the same role models in the sense of they are leading their countries rather than it's sort of like, okay, we'll have three male, one woman kind of thing. It should be like, no, make that equal, equal prominence. Um, and then at the lower end of the scale, I think we need to stop sort of feeling like lucky to be there, like lucky that we've got a changing room, lucky that we've got kit, lucky that we've got a team. Like it should be seen as actually women's rugby is the biggest opportunity for local clubs to grow in the future. Do you want to double your database of of um, members in the next year? Okay, well, the quickest way you can do that is by growing your women's section. Yeah. This is the one that's got the most opportunity to grow. And the most headroom to grow. So I think it needs to be seen as an opportunity at the grassroots level rather than a privilege to be there. And at the elite level, um, we need to start talking about the men's and the women's game as equal level of prominence um, rather than assuming male was the default. Great, thank you. So what are some things that our listeners can do in order to be great allies for women in sport? I think continuing is hard work, but continuing to challenge people. So 
if they say they're going to watch Chelsea on the weekend, ask questions like, oh, the men's or the women's team, just to remind people that Chelsea is men or women. It's not, oh, obviously you mean the men. Or um, I'm going to take my son to play rugby. Like, oh, why aren't you taking your daughter? You know, just keep challenging, like, you know, like keep asking those questions of why would you assume the men and why would you not take your daughter to watch or play sport? Um, and why would you only invite your male friends to go and watch sport? Like, just keep asking those questions because the more we challenge it, it breaks down the idea that that's the norm and that's the default. Yeah. Um, I also think just watch, turning up, watching it, going to the games, following the stories, um, becoming more invested in any way that we can, like really helps helps the growth and um, it increases the fan base, which then increases the amount of people who want to play, which then increases the amount of quality in the team. Um, then you win more successful and then there's more money. Like there's there's like a whole cycle of growth that needs to happen sort of at, at every level. But I think what's I would love to see more of is people just continuing to challenge whenever we assume male default um, because that's really frustrating and possibly the thing that goes unnoticed the most Thomas here like you know think about the sport you love playing in your young years and find mm-hmm. the women's team near you that's playing that sport and go watch it and... yeah yeah for sure like yeah yeah and it's it's a little bit hard to sort of find it at first because they're not promoted in the same way that the men's team are but yeah um, I think it's like a really pure experience watching in watching women's sport. Well clearly there's a lot to do to balance the scales in rugby. Do join us in part three to find out what Flo is doing to break the wheel of power and privilege in sport and also some ideas on what you and your organisation can do. And as always, please do share with us what you're going to do differently as a result of listening to our podcasts. We love to hear from you. Until next time. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organisation. You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Cami said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.